my name is Justin Robert Young, and I make a historical podcast. Welcome to I Made This from Do Anything Media, a show about passionate people executing their big ideas in realistic ways you can learn from to make your own big idea a reality. I'm Bill Meeks, and today I'm talking with Justin Robert Young, the host and producer of the historical podcast, Raise the Dead. Now, I've known Justin for about a decade. Way back in the day, I was a pretty active member of the chat room for the podcast he co-hosted with magician Brian Brushwood on the Twit Network called NSFW. Yeah, not safe for work. Spoilers, this episode has a lot of cursing in it. Eventually, Justin became my editor when I joined the writing staff of his bizarre news website, WeirdThings.com, and he's been a constant friend and collaborator ever since. He's done voice work and writing on The Fakest. He's appearing in a book that I have coming out soon. He's a mensch. Now, while I know him best from his wacky and mostly obscene comedy podcast, Justin's passion for politics drove him to create Politics, 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 or PX3, I think he calls it, where he covers political news with his own brand of friendly yelling. His success in that arena motivated him to create his new podcast, Raise the Dead, which is what we're going to talk about today. In Raise the Dead's first season, Justin dives deep on the 1960 presidential election between Richard Nixon and JFK, and explains how that election influenced Donald Trump's campaign a couple of years ago. Don't worry, we don't really get political here. Our talk today focuses on process, and how Justin turned an idea into a six-episode historical podcast, including a supplemental ebook and audiobook. Now, the day after we recorded, he released the final episode, so it's all up on Apple Podcast and ready to binge for you. The same week we recorded this, Justin announced that his long-running one-mic podcast, Jury Daily, is ending for the most part so he can focus more on his political podcast, including Raise the Dead. We'll discuss his decision to shutter the show and discuss how to say goodbye to a project you care about. Justin also reveals how he broke new ground in soup-related political history. Okay, I made this for you. Take a listen. Well, Justin, thank you very much for joining me today. How, how are things out there in San Francisco? Uh, good, good. The Bay Area, always uh, fun. It's a little uh, little chilly these days out here in uh, the sun-dappled Oakland, California. But uh, Also, but human feces dappled, from what I've heard. You know, that's... Uh, people... That really is a reputation that's sticking, huh? This this poop thing. People, Much like the poop. I mean, really, that's more of a San Francisco. I wasn't going to draw a line between San Francisco and Oakland because for most people, they don't care. And it, they are functionally, you know, in, in a, you know, Manhattan, Brooklyn kind of uh, proximity. But mm-hmm. I will say this. I haven't seen a lot of poop in Oakland. I see a lot of poop in San Francisco. <laughs> There's a lot of poop in San Francisco. I, but then again, Oakland's bigger. That's a nice travel tip for people, though. You know, if you're going out out, out west, uh, you know, if you if you like poop, go to San Francisco. If you don't, stick to Oakland. Stick to Oakland. Stick to Oakland. We don't have as much poop. Put it on the <laughs> sign as you drive into town. Speaking of poop, Justin, let's uh, why don't you go ahead and let our listeners know a bit about your uh, your podcasting history? Because I know you've been at it a long time, long before Conan O'Brien, the Podfather, created podcasting a year ago. Uh, <laughs> you have been, uh, you know, entertaining and delighting people. People across the wider internet. So why don't you give people a little bit of an idea of your history? I've been podcasting so long. I was mad that Adam Curry said he invented podcasting. That's how long I've been mad that somebody got credit for inventing podcasting. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I guess, wow, I started podcasting probably around 2006. That's probably the first time that I, that I put something up on the Apple iTunes store. What was that show? The first like polished thing that I did was a comedy show with me and my then roommate Matt that we called Scampy. High atop the corner of Fifth and Jefferson in Hoboken, New Jersey. This is Justin Robert Young and Matthew Finley's Scampy. Scampy. In 1998, Justin Robert Young was awarded the distinction of world's foremost authority on Thomas Jefferson, 17 and under division. And it was uh, a lot of written out kind of monologue sort of sort of stuff. But 
he had the funniest stuff. The thing that I still remember as being hilarious was uh, it was the dead letter office. And it was like kind of this horror themed kind of thing. But it was all about how Stephen King was being a very weird neighbor. And uh, but yeah, that was the first the first uh, thing that I put up there. First time that I did something kind of like professionally. And by that, I mean something that I, I didn't just want to do myself, but was doing for kind of business reasons was probably about a year after that when I started doing the the magic podcast for itrix.com. Oh, yeah, I, I remember that. And it, it, how long did that run? Probably like, what, four years, three years, four years? Probably, yeah, around around that. I don't, to be honest, man, and I'm sure it, it's probably even magnified for you because you have kids and that I, I, it seems like it speeds up life a little bit. But um, absolutely. Like, I, I, I don't know. If I ever had kids, I feel like I would just... They'd be bored, and then I'd I'd realize I was ninety the next day. Because you would just I'm, immediately drop dead as soon as they they uh, came out of the womb. Well, I just I'm I'm bad at keeping track of time now. I can't imagine it being more disorienting than the way I live my life at this point. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to the Magic Week in Review, bringing you news, rumor, and culture reports from the front lines of the magic industry on this edition. Of the program, me, Justin Robert Young, editor of iTricks.com, will talk to a man who I don't already talk to enough in recorded form. (laughs) I feel like many times people just don't know enough about my interactions with uh, our guest, Brian Brushwood, of course. But so so with iTrix, you you generally interviewed, uh, you know, figures within the magic community, including our mutual friend, uh, Brian Brushwood, which sort of led you to the next stage of your journey, right? Yeah, yeah. So I was doing that and that was good. We were the number one uh, magic podcast in a world where they didn't really have a lot of them and wound up meeting a, a ton of good people. I mean, uh, Andrew Bain kind of brought me into it. He was, it was, is, you know, uh, an extremely close friend. And and then I interviewed Brian and just really, really got along with him. He was doing the Scam School show and wanted to do some live programming to kind of supplement it. Uh, so he could uh, kind of capture more of that audience beyond just the week where he was teaching them a magic trick. And that's where he started BB live show. He, because we had hit it off, he gave me a call and was like, hey, I'm doing this live thing. You know, I had been doing some live stuff before as well. Uh, so he was like, hey, if you ever want to come on, just let me know. So I did, and I liked it, and I just told him, hey, anytime you go live, just let me know, and I'll, I'll be there. And lo and behold, we have we then had a 10-year career as podcast <laughs> uh, podcast co-hosts on, on that sh- proto version of uh, the show, which was really just a live stream, and then – uh, NSFW show on the Twit Network, which is where I I sort of uh, became aware of you. I, I I knew Brian from Scam School, but then uh, one day he showed like I think he showed up a couple weeks on Twit in a row, and then they were like, "Oh, we're giving Brian a show, and it, it's going to be this awesome show with a lot of fun games, and it's going to be comedy." You know, so I tuned into the first episode, and there was Brian. All right, it is time to get this thing started. Uh, despite our epic failure to begin, already out the outset. You stumbled into NSFW Twit's favorite mistake is what we like to think of it as. <laughs> it is a new show full of win, hosted by me. I'm your host, Brian Brushwood. Some of you guys may recognize me from a little show on the internet called Scan School. That is a professional show, which is suitable for the entire family. Uh, this one is a little bit more of a toddler beating on a drum. Every so often, the language gets just a little bit naughty. I think there were you guys had a couple guests too, but it was Brian and it was you, this guy I'd never seen before who was very, very loud. Yeah. Uh, which I, you'll admit to. You'll admit to, right? Oh, of course. Yeah. I, I guess uh, I don't realize how loud I am. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and certainly in my earlier, I'm sure if I watched some early NSFW stuff, I would probably cringe a little bit. But yeah, I don't know. I also genuinely kind of believe, you know, what's the point of paying attention if you're not going to get excited? <laughs> well, they, that's the thing is like you often call yourself loud. I, I find you more passionate. Like yeah, you don't get like loud to where my ears are about to bleed. You get very intense uh, when you're passionate about what you're talking about. And you're often talking about things you're passionate about. So, you know, one kind of seems to naturally lead into the other from an outsider's perspective. Yeah, that's a good way to put it, because I, I I yell certainly you know, for emphasis, but I don't consider myself like, I'm sure people find me irritating, but I I don't, that's not the, the, the point, you know, like I, I do try to read kind of social cues, but also it's like, 
I genuinely don't find a lot of dignity and timidity. <laughs> I don't think that there is like any honor to not showing yourself. I think that 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 is those are the entertainers that I gravitate the most to. And, and those are the people that I, I try to model what I do after. You know, as someone with the last name of Meeks, I find that really disheartening, Justin. And I'm kind of offended here. <laughs> I mean, like you inherit the earth. What more do you want, you greedy bastard? Yeah, I, I guess, you know, bad time on earth for a while. And then we inherit it. So it all turns out OK. Yeah, uh, it, It's a nice story arc there. So you started doing this NSFW show with Brian. Uh, to great acclaim, you guys did that for a few years. There was some drama, which will gently glide over here. And then you guys started up your own thing, uh, Night Attack, which was kind of the same show. Maybe maybe a little less emphasis on having guests and more emphasis on featuring you guys having fun together. Yeah. And so that's kind of been your brand and your stock and trade for the past 10 years. So what made you want to make a historical podcast like this one? For everyone else, it's just old news. And old news dies and becomes history. But on this podcast, oh yeah, we raise the dead. Man, I'm trying to think of what the absolute genesis of the idea was it's certainly something that I've had in my mind for a really long time. I've, I've always loved the 1960 election conspiracy because it's crazy and nobody knows it mm-hmm. like, and those are the things that always, I have this fascination with our understanding of history. Like, and I've always sort of the way I've, I've kind of distilled it is like at some point, we're going to read some tweet thread where we realize that like Abe Lincoln was Asian <laughs> or nobody. It's like, oh, wow, look at this. There's like absolute concrete historical record that Abe Lincoln was from mainland China. Like, who knew? I guess we didn't really have a whole lot of uh, ways to record it. And it was buried in somebody's filing cabinet. One of history's mysteries. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're in a fascinating point right now in 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 our culture where we have access to more information radically more than anybody who has ever lived on the planet has ever had and it's growing exponentially every day so we are in in my opinion we're in this very very we're like kids who are getting drunk for the first time like we have no <laughs> idea what's happening we we know that there are consequences to it but we barely understand them we know that there's a reason why we're doing it but we we we're kind of grappling with it and so the 1960 election i think is fascinating because it's very famous or should be very famous in presidential history very rarely do we get a marquee fight like that that holds up in history nixon versus kennedy in presidential politics is like King Kong versus Godzilla. Like there's <laughs> two very, very famous names that wound up obviously becoming famous after this point. But the election conspiracy afterward, which if you're not aware, is that JFK, by way of Frank Sinatra, employed the Chicago mob to you know win a very close election, specifically in Illinois, is something that I can't even now think of how we would replicate it like is it you know the, the donald trump by way of justin bieber had ms-13 <laughs> there's just no uh, any any comp that you could think of it would be the craziest wildest thing you'd ever think of in your life and the, so the one that just popped into my head was cardi b arranged the relationship between the bush family and the lizard people but you know same, same basic kind of example yeah i mean i guess my my, my larger point is that it's it's hard to even put that into a modern context. And so that was the beginning of, of, of the idea. And then, man, I don't know where you want to know what it was probably, I, I was very inspired by a podcast series called cocaine and rhinestones. Mm-hmm. It's about country music history, which I don't give a rat's ass about country music, but I really love a world of creatives and fighting against the system and passionate fans. It's like all that, like I love, and so this podcast put that in in a great context. And so I guess I was thinking like, you know, I'd never done anything like that. Everything I'd done is was very talk radio, live to tape kind of uh, style. And that was um, that was that was what I wanted to do. 
I know that you've been a fan of documentaries for a lot of years. I, in the past, you've tried to get me to watch the 30, 30, or 30 for 30 series on uh, ESPN and everything. Yeah. So I, I know that's probably a big influence for you. What are, what are some of the other influences that led you to this project? Well, I mean, I just really like nonfiction. Uh, in general. So documentaries obviously are part of it, but nonfiction books, I don't read a ton of fiction books. It just in general. So really uh, uh, some of the 30 for 30 stuff is great. Most because I, the, the thing that I would take the most from 30 for 30 and the reason why I would recommend it to somebody like you that doesn't give a, a crap about sports. You can say rat's ass. That's fine. Uh, yeah. It doesn't give a rat's ass about sports is because it's not about the sports. It's about the humanity. It's about people. And, and that's kind of what I, I, I took from stuff like that is, is that if it's just about, you know, stats and, and where they rank all time, then you're not really going to be playing to the audience that I think is going to appreciate it the most. And I think you're going to be doing a, dis a disservice to the story. And that's really what I found in Raise the Dead is you have not one but two characters in Kennedy and Nixon that – both, I think, deserve some regression to the mean. You know, Nixon in 1960 is not Nixon who has the Watergate scandal, right? The Kennedy that gets uh, murdered in Dallas and becomes kind of a political saint is not that guy in 1960. And so there was, I think, room in 2020 for me to kind of complicate Kennedy a little bit and maybe give some context to who Richard Nixon was in a way that wouldn't just be viewed as like propaganda against the Kennedy campaign or uh, being, uh, you know, in, in, in the pocket of big Nixon. <laughs> and Nixon, Nixon was big. That is a historical fact. Sure. Oh, no. Big, big dig. Okay, so so once you decided, uh, you know, the topic you wanted to cover, how, how, how did you go about sort of planning the show and coming up with your format and everything? Man, that was a journey. So uh, the first thing I did was just read, just read and read and read and read and read. And then in discussion with my, my senior strategist, Tamar, as I was talking about my research, I kept kind of bringing up for context parallels between Trump and Kennedy and, and Hillary Clinton and Richard Nixon and specifically the 2016 election. And so it was at her recommendation that she was like, yo, you should make that a part of the show because I think that will bring people in a lot more if you're talking about you're, you're bringing context to like, hey, you know, maybe JFK and Trump, their campaigns were fairly similar. And it's then, also a little provocative in this day and age to just to call out that really notorious election from a couple of years back and be like, no, this is something that kind of got its start back in the 1960s. Yeah. And and here's the dirty little secret is that, you know, and, and as I'm researching the, the, the season two now, nothing's new. <laughs> <laughs> happened before and you know there is a little bit of a theatricality for me to wave my arms like a magician as i as i point at the connections but certainly that that is the secret is that there's because the stuff i'm doing now has tremendous parallels to stuff that's happening as we speak and so hopefully i'll be able to rush that out before it becomes old news but <laughs> it's only provocative now because we're in a political boom in my opinion that there is a large portion of folks who care about politics now for whom politics were created when Trump was elected, right? Yeah. Or, or that election in general, the run up to that election, uh, which was so highly watched and publicized. And that's, this is not me slamming anybody. I think it's just because that election had a lot of compelling elements to it and, and was publicized as such. Similarly, you know, Kennedy and Nixon had a lot of compelling elements. And, you know, as I explained in the series, I think that there's deliberate strategy on the side of both Trump and Kennedy to make sure that those provocative elements were highlighted. You know, when you're looking, taking a historical look at, you know, a political situation like you are, I, I definitely don't see anything weird or wrong or anti-ethical about, you know, making a big provocative statement to kind of draw people into the story you're telling. 
I know you have a journalism background. Do you think that modern media outlets talking about things that are happening right now have a duty to not be provocative? Or do you think it, that's just part of the business? Uh, I mean, that's that's a large question. It's hard to talk about journalism with a capital J these days when it is a stand in for so many different things. Like I am very much a believer in the the Marshall McLuhan, the medium is the message kind of uh, a way of thinking that television guidelines should be understood different than print guidelines should be understood different than the piecemeal of social media. So as far as journalism goes, if there's one thing that I think does need to recede even further than it has up till this point is trying to shape a story. I, I think that we are now at a point where information is so readily available that, that there's not as much of a need for it. And I do mm-hmm. think that at, at a certain point there was when you only got, you know, a morning paper, maybe an evening edition, and then you had your, your evening news, the spectrum of what you were going to hear about was very small, especially nationally or internationally, even even smaller Uh, at least compared to now. And so shaping a story then meant more about trying to capture little nuances that you didn't need to get all the way in, right? That you didn't need to explain. So it's like, all right, this dictator is deposed in a country you've never heard of. So you shape it to make the rebels the heroes and make the dictator the bad guy and point to the allies that, you know, we also agree with yada, yada, yada. Now, and I think this this just is is kind of in general, we can understand that the world's very complicated because we have no limit to the fire hose of information that we get. I think that you can very reasonably just sort of piecemeal stuff out for those that want to follow it like that. And then, you know, there there are always going to be people uh, who who summarize things in, in different ways. So. I don't know that that was a very, uh, you know, neck beardy case. Uh, <laughs> horse ass answer but uh but there we go for for me anyway you know the the job of reporters is to report maybe do a little bit of education give a little bit of added context where what you're doing with raise the dead is more like a deep dive analysis sort of picking apart the key events during that election cycle yeah and sort of trying to draw a thread between all of them so i initially the thing that i wanted to do stylistically and this obviously informed the content, was I wanted to be passionate. My tone of voice, I wanted to be me and the listener at a bar. And sometimes the story gets so crazy, the bartender has to shush us. And if that's the case, then the 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 content needs to go with it. And, you know, the, the, the kind of guiding light that I had for that was I wanted to make uh, history so sexy you could... <laughs> well, I mean, I I always found my my history textbooks back in high school attractive, but maybe maybe not quite that attractive. <laughs> well, I mean, and and I just proofed the final episode. I'm putting it up for the season today, and and that was you know at the end. I thank my social studies teachers from high school because they always put humanity, the humanity of our people, of, of the of the things that we were studying first, mm-hmm. you know, and that very much left an impression on me. It very much mattered to me that these aren't just, you know, and, 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 and Paul begat Job, right? Like, you know, there it, it's not just dry. It's passions and betrayals and legacies and pressure. And, and those are things that I think we can all relate to the human relationships. Yeah. And, and that's what I wanted to bring to this is I, I didn't want you know, I didn't want this to just be like, oh, well, they cheated. Ha ha ha. Look at we like we caught them. They cheated. I wanted it to be. Well, why? What, is this just what happens? Like, is this uh, a breakthrough? Like, and even then, nobody does awful things unless you're a sociopath. You know, you don't do awful things just because you can do them. You do them because you're under pressure. Everybody's the hero of their own story. And what I wanted to do was kind of get a little bit more into that element of it. Because I think especially with politics, that is, you know, 
I mean, I guess I, I could moralize and say it's sorely lacking, but I'll just take the <laughs> uh, tact and say that it is an unexploited <laughs> market. You'll say it in several other syllables to obfuscate the fact that you're calling them out. Well, I mean, I, I just think that right now I, I don't blame anybody. I think we're just at that point. Right. Like, mm-hmm. again, we have a lot of people for whom the story has just begun and, and they have just met their Darth Vader. And, and that is something that you can slice however you want. But I think with that comes a draining of empathy and humanity. And that's fine for wherever you're going now. But in terms of history and understanding history, I, I think it, it does us a tremendous disservice to understand everybody is just like, oh, well, they were on my team back in the day, which means everything they did is great. That sort of uh, blind support based on belief and not, you know, actual events. <laughs> yeah. And and uh, it's it's fine if you think that way. I just want to take credit for surprising you when I show you stuff that you've never heard of before. How did you go about sort of, you know, determining what the story you wanted to tell exactly was and how to sort of break it up into, what was it, six episodes? Yeah, seven with the bonus episode that will eventually be on the audiobook if Audible ever approves it. Oh, Audible takes forever. Oh, my God. I didn't realize that. I should have submitted that audiobook like a month before I, I put the podcast out. I was going to say, I, I, I think the last book I posted on Audible took about a month for approval. So you might be waiting a little bit longer. Yeah. Well, awesome. Anyway. Yeah. So seven episodes is what I produced. I produced seven episodes and it took a while to be honest with you. Um, initially I was going to tell everything chronologically and that effectively in terms of kind of the stagecraft of it would mean that we would follow a lot of characters every episode. Right. Game of Thrones levels of uh, lots of characters. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And and even Game of Thrones went 12 episodes per season. Like, <laughs> so I initially wanted to not produce this myself. I initially the idea that I had was let me write it out. Let me record it. And then let me like be a big boy and with big boy money uh, hire <laughs> a, a producer. And so I wound up going through a friend of mine uh, through total happenstance. Uh, I happened to be college friends with the producer for the series. Uh, well, now it's Fiasco, but uh, on Luminary, but it's the team that that previously did Slow Burn, the first two seasons of Slow Burn. That was the Clinton one, right? Well, Nixon and Clinton, and then they left. That team left, and uh, Slow Burn, I think, is still going. I think they did like Biggie vs. Tupac or something like that. But uh, they left and, and now they're doing Fiasco. And so they did one on the Florida recount. And I guess they're doing one on Iran-Contra. Anyway, my buddy Andrew hit me up and I'm like, hey, I'm looking for a freelance producer. And so uh, he hooked me up with somebody that had actually done the 30 for 30 podcast before. And she was great. And the first thing she said when I gave her the scripts that I had before I had recorded them was like, uh, why are all these characters in every episode? Why don't have you thought about re- writing them so they're all in their own episode, basically. Mm -hmm. And effectively, I wound up kind of doing a little bit of both. Like each episode kind of focuses on either Nixon or the Kennedys or both of them when they are at odds, right? Mm -hmm. And they're effectively telling the same story. But boy, it took a while. You know, uh, the research took a while. the, The writing took a while and and really with a project like this, anytime you're going into a project and I think this is in any kind of anything and not even just art, right? Just in life, like that first thing you're doing, like, man, are you just feeling around in the woods, in the, in the dark, trying to figure out what stuff is. And at a certain point I just realized with the producer, I was like, I don't even know. She was asking me questions that I just didn't even, she was speaking Greek. <laughs> like I just didn't know what to tell her. And, uh, at a certain point, I was like, you know, I, I don't think I can it would it would be a waste of my money and your time because she's a Ferrari and I don't know how to drive. So I need to figure out how to drive first before I could even think about working with somebody like her. And then a few months later, I was kind of on vacation and I just realized, like, I just got to do this myself, even just so I just know what I like, what I want what my instincts are, what my, which are right, which are wrong. And so, you know, I did an episode 
a pilot episode, sent it to a bunch of friends and got good feedback. But the most harsh was from Brian. It was like, hey, look, this audio quality is not good enough. Uh, I was confused throughout all these things. So the, the research is really good, but you got to go back and clear it up. And that was really, I think in, in, in a lot of projects, you have these inflection points of like, okay, well, things become clearer even if when you first get the news, you don't like it. <laughs> that was a huge part of it in terms of, of, of realizing what the organization of it was. Do, do you think some of that muddiness came from the fact that you started doing it chronologically and then switched over to character based and maybe, you know, something that was relevant to one character in episode two, by the time it comes back in episode four, the audience maybe has forgotten about it. Stuff like that. This was just on the first episode. So, oh, okay. Uh, yeah, it was, it was a mess. It was internally muddy. Yeah. You know, there were, if you've listened to the first episode, there are a couple, there's one sort of gotcha moment where we describe, I'm not going to spoil it if you haven't listened to it, but it's if, all, it's all old history anyways. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, I tell the story of the origin of Joe Kennedy's pride and joy running for president and uh, talk about his military service and how he goes on this epic. It's it's like really a, 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 an action adventure. It's like a war movie uh, <laughs> kind of premise where he's a pilot, goes up in this plane, arms the bomb because it's going to be a drone. This is like in, in the end of World War II. It's it's the it's literally a drone strike like a plane is set to be remote controlled. There's a bomb armed on the plane and they're going to fly the empty plane into a Nazi fortified base. And our hero, young Kennedy, goes up, arms the bomb and the plane explodes and he dies. And then we, of course, find out that that's not JFK, as I have craftily led you to believe. <laughs> Rather, it is. Joe Kennedy Jr. and that all of the preparation that Joe Kennedy Jr. had to be president is now out the window. And so JFK was he was meant to be the Bobby. He was meant to be the second in command. Uh, and it's only once Joe dies that JFK gets to do it. So there's little stuff like that where it's like I had that after I had done an intro describing uh, the 2016 election and then revealing, oh, no, I'm actually talking about 1960. And so that was a Brian note that, hey, you can't do two gotchas, right? Mm -hmm. Like you, you have to straighten that out. And then also I had Nixon in that first episode. And that was a huge decision to make. And it, it ultimately wound up shaving down the amount of Nixon content that I had in the series in general because – the Kennedys really move the story. There are a couple really, really good Nixon stories, but the Kennedys are kind of our protagonist in terms of the people that are moving things along. But initially in that first episode, I had a whole thing about Nixon's origin and, and his first campaign and stuff like that. And I just realized I could mention Nixon and he is mentioned in the first episode, but ultimately I, I had to kind of clarify stuff. And that was probably the biggest lesson was learning the difference between the written word and the spoken word mm -hmm. and learning, especially when you're dealing with history and you're teaching people things, God, you got to walk slow. And, and, you know, based on my tone and style and, <laughs> and, uh, speed of speaking, walking slow is that's not just in Robert Young's MO. No, <laughs> but, but you have to learn it, you know, and you have to, and you have to, find that connection point between you and the audience. Yeah. And that's one of the challenging things about sort of crafting a narrative in audio only too, is, you know, with a book, if the reader gets confused or lost within the story, they can go back a couple paragraphs, kind of try and figure it out yeah. with audio people can, but they don't. And so I, I, I think, I think it's good that you learned that lesson that, you know, I, as the person presenting the narrative, you sort of have to hold their hand. And if you think you've checked in and made sure they're still with you enough do it one more time because there's always somebody who's going to get, they're going to be distracted or you're going to get them thinking about another thing and they're going to tune out for 20 seconds and they're going to completely lose the thread of the thing. And that's the thing that I actually, I, one of the things that really helped me with this project was I wrote out the script 
as if it were a time travel movie. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, well, if we're going from 2016 to 1960 to 2016 to 1960, at what point if I were watching this and we were a protagonist and we literally had to get into, you know, a phone booth or a, 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 a car or something to go back in time or forward in time, at what point would I be like, Jesus, just don't stay somewhere for five seconds. Like, <laughs> and that was, that was actually helpful for me as a consumer because it gave me a handle on getting away from being a slave to the research and more to being a average consumer. Cause that's the biggest thing is that, man, when you spend so much time reading and so much time taking notes, there really is this like drive to show your work and, mm -hmm. and really just want to like, bring all your notes to America and all <laughs> countries around the world and just have them pat you on the head and, and put, you know, magnetize it to the fridge so they can be very proud of you for all the hard work you've done. <laughs> but that's ultimately not what people want. You know, they, they want a story. They want, they want to follow it. They want to be able to tell their friends about it. And so those were, and I still think that the next season's probably going to be even better with that. Now that I kind of know that going in from the research phase on when you're telling your listeners a story, they don't necessarily care about you. They care about the story. And as much as you want to show that you're an expert in the subject matter and everything, you, there's definitely th that need to package it for them in a way that's pleasant and that they'll be willing to come back to and again and again, regardless of how much work you put into it. Well, and also it's like doing research for a project, you wind up getting a drift into the sea of it mm -hmm. and lose the coastline a little bit. And so you start to think, at least I did like, well, obviously everybody knows like, you know, it's like, no, they don't like you need to spell it out. I mean, how one of the funniest things I got was that there were a lot of people who listened to this show and just didn't know that John F. Kennedy's nickname was Jack. Oh, wow. I hear Jack Kennedy all the time, but yeah, people, you know, people don't know what they don't know. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, and that was, that was a big thing. I got that a lot. It's like, like, oh, I thought you were talking about two different people. And then I realized that, that John's nickname was Jack, which I've always found weird. Like, I don't blame people for, for, for thinking that because like, why do you get two first names? Like, that'd be like, if you got <laughs> Bill and Ed, like, like it just like, they don't even really like, you know, like they don't, they're not a contraction of, of the other one. They're just two four letter names. Yeah. My name's Larry, but people call me Steve, you know <laughs> what? Yeah. Right. So, uh, you, you mentioned, you know, sharing the pilot episode with Brian Brushwood. I, were there any other sort of beta listeners you used to kind of give yourself a sanity check and make sure you were, you were going along the path that you meant to? I listen. Yeah. A lot of people I, I listened, I, I showed it to and, and there really is such a value of understanding the kind of feedback you can expect from certain friends, especially if they're in the creative fields. But ultimately the people that, that and I wound up thanking them in every episode, but John Teasdale, my co-creator on the card game, I, the card games I did contender in action news, Tom Merritt, the host of daily tech news show and Brett Ranceville, who I've known as long as almost as long as I've known Brian, they were the only guys that as I went along and did all these revisions and changed the episodes, they like slowly that list of beta listeners would would kind of get whittled down as I wouldn't hear from people. <laughs> so I'd send them stuff. And it's like if you didn't respond within like the week that it took me to send you another thing, I, I'll just I'm not going to fill up your inbox with a bunch of nonsense. Like, you know, yeah, uh, I, I, I love when people creatively ghost you and this isn't any judgment or anything. But, you know, where they're like, yeah, I'm, I'm completely into what you're doing. I'm here to help you a thousand percent. You send something to them. You don't hear from them for three months because they feel guilty about it. And then they're like, oh, sorry about that thing. Uh, you want to meet up for lunch? Yeah. You know, and I don't blame especially like, you know, because I'm bad. People send me stuff and then yeah, I'm I was like, going to say I've done I've done the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, somebody sent me a thing. They really loved Raise the Dead. And they wanted to do a version of Raise the Dead about pro wrestling. And I love pro wrestling and I did Raise the Dead. So they were very kind to send it to me. And then I didn't respond to him for like a month. And, and then I, I had to apologize. I was just like, all right. Well, number one, I hated me. So let me just at least apologize for being a dickweed. Uh, <laughs> But uh, but I eventually got back to him. But yeah, I mean, listening to an hour of anything is annoying, like listening to anything for an hour. And I'm like, podcasting is a little bit more passive, like you can do other stuff. But well, it's like especially when you're being asked to listen to it thoughtfully. Yeah. And, you know, give feedback because that goes from being 
something you can do to kill an hour to being like homework. Exactly. And you're sending your friends homework constantly. But thankfully, uh, Tom and Brett and John, uh, they were they were with it. And so they were the guys that always got back to me within 24 hours. And they were an, an invaluable resource to catch stuff and to tell me where they were confused and stuff like that. What is the dumbest mistake that you made that somebody else called out to you? I don't know if I've had anything exceptionally stupid, although I think we might have corrected a historical record because mm. there is a famous documentary called Primary. It is one of the first ever fly on the wall documentaries. So it's like no narrator. Uh, I think it was D.A. Pennebaker uh, who did it, but it's literally just footage of the campaign trail interviews with the 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 guys with uh, with, with the subjects with no influence on top of it in terms of like somebody asking a question mm -hmm. and in that i believe it's in that or maybe it's in one of the books they talk about how hubert humphrey was standing on the corner and when he is doing in the wisconsin primary and handing out cards saying vote for humphrey with his wife's bean soup recipe on the back of it you know and, and that's in contrast to the kennedys who have a private jet and <laughs> there's married to peter lawford a movie star and his wife is young and beautiful and they're just traipsing around and you know humphreys is pissed off about it and he says you know it's like trying to run a mom and pop shop when a chain store comes to your state like he's curious <laughs> and so i use that as the kind of humbling element to demonstrate like like where where the two are and somebody went and looked for the bean soup recipe and found that it's a beef soup recipe. So oh, wow. we might be correcting the historical record of Mrs. Humphrey's beef soup. Or I totally screwed up and just heard bean as beef and I screwed up. So uh, either, either I made a mistake, most likely, or we are breaking new ground in soup-related political history. I think you should claim that, man. I, you know, you send some one of your minions over to Wikipedia and source raise the dead is, you know, the factual uh, truth of the of the soup recipe. We're getting down to the bottom of this soup thing. <laughs> finally, finally, after after fifty years, we've cracked the soup. Yeah, I, I noticed that for the podcast. You know, you released it traditionally as a podcast, week to week to week to week. Yeah, but I noticed too that you're also doing an ebook component, and we mentioned earlier the audiobook version uh what sort of led you to take the same content and re I, I won't say recycle because that sounds negative but sort of direct it to, into three different mediums i mean again to get back to the medium is the message like uh, uh there are people that i think would like this that uh don't like podcasts right and and mm -hmm. they can buy the ebook uh they would rather read it i think for some they would rather binge it they don't they don't want to listen to the podcast. They they want to listen to it as an audiobook. I also wanted to set up the idea. Really, the 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 general concept was something that we did very early on with Andrew Maine when he first started getting into writing, and now he's a published award-winning author. But back when we were when it was just me and him and he was just doing these ebooks, uh, he came to me and said, Hey, would you be interested in doing a audiobook reading of the first chapter that we could tag at the end of uh, Weird Things, our podcast? So I did, and he liked it. He said, Oh, this is really good. You, would you want to do the whole book? And I was like, All right, sure. So I sat in a sweaty ass warehouse in Margate, Florida, and I read uh, his first three or four books. Yeah, I, I, I think I've been to that warehouse. That is a sweaty ass warehouse. Yes, Jesus. Because he had to turn off the air conditioning to record the podcast <laughs> in in the middle of the summer. So I was just sitting there, no shirt on, just, you know, sweating my balls off. So what we do for our art. I know. So anyway, um, the idea there was we would release the book free as a podcast. And this is certainly I think we owe a debt of gratitude to to Scott Sigler. But we would release it for free as a podcast week by week. So I think it was three chapters per week. And then at the end, at the beginning and end of each podcast episode, we would just say, hey, do you like this? Do you want to buy the audiobook? Go to this website, you know, or buy the ebook. And so that was the idea. The idea was that I could kind of recreate that, but in a more, you know, obviously there there is an audience for people who listen to science fiction books on podcast, but it's not quite at the level of 
these kind of serialized history shows and nobody had really done it before. So uh, I figured, well, why the hell not? Mm-hmm. I mistakenly believed that the Audible program was as speedy as <laughs> the Amazon Kindle program, which is like not at all. Oh, my God. I, I mean, I, I, I put up the Kindle book at a bar and like, you know, I, I formatted it and, and uploaded it to Kindle and in, in like about, you know, two hours flat <laughs> did the same a week later for audible and, uh, we're waiting. Well, I, I think the thing is it, audible's review process. They have someone who doesn't know English, listen to your audiobook for the audio quality, translate it to somebody for English. And then that person reads it. So it, it just takes a while. So, so, uh, what, what is the ultimate goal? Do do you think, is it about monetization, you know, spreading out to all these different things? Is it, is it about building your brand and reaching people you want and otherwise? And if it is monetization, what makes you think, you know, releasing products based on the podcast is a better path to go than, you know, maybe traditional advertising. You need listeners for the second one. That's very true. You know, very well that we have made a living outside of advertising. You know, uh, Ad Attack has and and politics, politics, politics has. We don't have advertising on the program. That's not to say that if we continue to grow, especially politics, we're we're kind of at about that threshold. Uh, Raise the Dead is certainly about at that threshold. And certainly we're probably beyond that threshold if uh, I were to sell them both as a like combined package. But I don't want to have to do that until the money's good. Like, when I annoy my audience, and I certainly hope to annoy my audience by me reading an ad for a terrible mattress that'll probably give you scoliosis, like I eventually will give you that mattress and I hope to ruin your spine. But <laughs> in the meantime, I value your time and uh, patience and I don't want to give you that. You know, I've had faith rewarded with plenty of people who want to give on Patreon or when there's a product, especially when the product doesn't take up room in your house. You know, I've had a lot of people that have told me they just buy the ebook just because they want to support the endeavor. Right. And I'm sure they'll buy the audible thing just to support the endeavor. I mean, hell the ebook is free on Kindle unlimited. So you can read it for free if you want, if you have Kindle unlimited, a lot of people do. And then the audiobook, I mean, based on a decade of indoctrination into getting audible, uh, <laughs> I'm sure there's people that have dead credits that they just want to throw somewhere. And so you throw them to me. It, it doesn't feel like you're spending all that money. And meanwhile, I do get money. So that's uh, that's positive. But I've always had faith in it. And I, I do want to continue to build those models where people can can get what they can get with what they want and support the people that they like which is great. I heard this morning while I was on my walk I was listening to your jury daily program yeah and I, I heard an announcement that that was going away and part of the reason you said it was uh, gonna be going away was so you could focus more on your politics show and the raise the dead uh, season two yeah so I was kind of curious you know you've had that jury show for quite a long time what's it been six seven years now and I'm sure there's a lot of listeners of yours and fans of yours that know you only through that show or engage with you the most through that show so what sort of led you to that decision? And was there any concern to you that you were going to be leaving listeners behind? Tremendous concern. Uh, still is. But last year, I made decisions about podcasts that I loved doing. Absolutely loved, loved, loved doing, uh, including Unfriend Me with Scott Johnson and uh, 1-900-Wrestling, my pro wrestling podcast with Willie Dills Gregory. And I decided to cut them. And, I, and and to to not do them anymore or put them on hiatus. I still want to do Unfriend Me. But what I found is I had bandwidth and Raise the Dead happened, right? I was able to find time and, 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 and do it. I think that there's a danger for a lot of podcasters. Maybe this is a generational thing from when I started doing it, that you start doing a project and you do it forever. And I think all projects need are living and you need to feed them and you need to nurture them and you're, you're, connection with the audience will wane if you don't. And while jury, I took jury from a weekly podcast to a daily podcast, thinking that doing a four day a week, 15 minute show would be less taxing on some level than doing an hour by myself. 
I don't know how true that wound up turning out. <laughs> One of my favorite uh, folks in the community, ICU, who uh, immediately <laughs> labeled me the time wizard as I had cast my spell that more time equals less time or less <laughs> time. Rather, I got it wrong. So uh, I, I I do worry about that, but but jury's not going away. It's just going away in the daily format, and and part of it is I noticed myself kind of phoning it in, and I just didn't want to do that, and. <laughs> the audience deserves better and and this will give me an opportunity to a stream a little bit more on on Twitch which I really love doing and is a great opportunity to connect with a lot of the same people live and we can talk about the same stories that we were talking about on Jury Daily live uh I just don't I'm just not going to put it out as a podcast yeah but ultimately Look, I'm I'm going to be on the road. I'm going to be a self-finance political reporter this year and I'm going to be going out to primaries and caucuses and stuff like that. And like I can't screw it up. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I don't want to put at odds me creating that content that is going to be again self-finance and and there for the people that have put in a lot of money uh, with with you know then trying to sacrifice jury daily or phoning in jury daily or, or having it suck or taking episodes off. Like that's, that's not what I want. And so it, it might've been a little bit preemptive, but mm-hmm. I think I was going to hit a real squeeze point, you know, sooner rather than later. Well, I, I think too, uh, you know, cause I, I've shuttered a few podcasts over the years and the, the thing that occurred to me once it occurred to me that it wasn't the best idea for me to be doing this show anymore, either from a personal level, a time level, or, you know, we did a lot of fan casts. Maybe I fell out of love with the show that we were covering. I felt this duty to my listeners to keep going with it. But at the same time, if I'm not 100% there and 100% believe in what I'm doing, they're probably not going to enjoy it as much as they have been anyway. Yeah, it's a rough call. Well, I, I, I'm very proud of you for making it and of everything you've done, my my old, old friend. Uh, well, you're not that old. I think you're actually a little younger than me. <laughs> just, a, just a hair. When can people expect to hear more about season two of Raise the Dead? If they, Assuming they go and listen to it immediately after the show like they should and they love it as they should. Very soon. Very soon. But uh, go ahead and get on my pod or on my uh, newsletter, free political newsletter, free political newsletter dot com. And that'll probably be that in politics will be the place where I talk about it. Excellent. Well, uh, thank you very much for joining me, Justin. I hope you have a great day. Thank you, buddy. All right, man. Get around. Peace. Thanks for listening to the show. If you have your own big idea you've made a reality, we want to hear about it. Let us know by emailing imadethis at doanything.media. We'd love to share your project, or maybe even talk to you about it. You can follow the show at imadethisshow, all one word, on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Again, that's at imadethisshow. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or on our website, imadethis.doanything.media. Again, that's imadethis.doanything.media. And if you do subscribe, make sure you leave a review so we can shout you out on the show. I'm Bill Meeks. Thanks for listening.